All right, if you didn't pick up uh, the communion cup, they're in the back, and uh, we'll get to that here in, in just a little bit. Well, if you were to throw a big party for your church friends, and you've just found out that the Apostle Paul is going to come, how would that make you feel? I think part of me would be really excited, part of me would be a little bit nervous, because Paul's kind of direct. <laughs> In fact, as we're working through 1 Corinthians, it's not an easy letter. We found that out last week and previous weeks. We're going to get into chapters 12 and 13 following this morning's message, which are some really great passages. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is just an amazing text. But not all of life runs smoothly. Not all of it goes well. Not always are we doing the right thing. And Paul is heavily invested in these people. He has made lots and lots of deposits. <laughs> and he has given of himself. He had, he had spent two years of his life just teaching what Christ had taught to him. And now they're struggling. And so good friends will, in appropriate ways, address the hard issues. And that's how we grow. That's how we grow. If everyone's always patting you on the back and saying you're great, uh, you're probably not going to be moving forward as much. But we know this, that just as God speaks to us, Christ speaks to us through his word, as Paul will speak to us, it is for our good. And a central verse in this passage, we're going to look at chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. But a central verse is this. In verse 22, he asks the question, what should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. <laughs> said, okay. Um, and then he's going to go and explain why. And he, he addresses the problem, and it really centers around their worship. This is exactly what we're doing this morning and their communion, or we call the Lord's Supper. You may have heard this referred to as the Eucharist. It, it, is, it is the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by gathering around the Lord's table. And, and he says, and the way you're doing this, I do not praise you in this matter. And he's going to address it in three ways. And kind of broken down our outline this morning. One is confrontation. He confronts the problem, which, you know, good doctors do. <laughs> Say, here's the problem. Secondly, he gives instruction. And his instruction really goes back to the rudimentary lessons that Jesus was teaching to his disciples. And then finally, uh, a plea for examination. To examine our lives, to examine one another to examine our church family. And this is usually the way God's word works. Uh, you'll be reading along. It's like Psalm uh, 27 that I read today. You know, you, you, you think, yes, what a blessing. That is so encouraging. And you'll get to one and you go, you'll go ouch. <laughs> that uh, <clears throat> that kind of hit me about some things in my life. But, but very quickly, he's going to move you from confrontation to instruction and now we do some examination. How can we grow through this? How can, how can Valley Community Church and then you as an individual grow through this text, this word? This isn't just something to read it 
and to say, well, I feel blessed because I read it. No, when we, we act on it in faith, it's how we grow. So we'll begin with confrontation and uh, get, get through that part of it. And, and I, I realize this, you know, the older you get, the less concerned you are about impressing, impressing people. <laughs> um, and the more you care about helping them. I think that just kind of comes over time. You know, it's, it's uh, looking back over 40 years of, of pastoring now, uh, a couple things happen. Uh, one, you get old. Uh, that, I, I realize that. Um, the second thing is you get perspective. You get perspective. And you realize that uh, to really help people, you'll need to confront at times. And so what, what Paul sees is conflict in this church. We've talked about that since chapter 1. There is division. There is conflict. These people are they're at each other. And, and, he, and he says, when you come together, and this is what we do on Sunday mornings, when you come together, uh, we said to translate the word church as best community, common unity, community. He says, when you're coming together, there is disunity. There are factions. There are divisions. There is party spirit. And this is not pleasing to God. In fact, the, the exact opposite is happening of what should be happening. And it, it's a tragedy that something like that would take place. So let me read the first few verses, first uh, five or so verses of 1 Corinthians. And, and this is where he kind of just kind of lays out the problem. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians says, Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, this isn't better you came together today. You're worse off. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. You know, you, you want, Paul gets a little sarcastic here. He says, I partly believe this. He's heard it from many people. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. So, you can, when you read through this, it's a little bit tough because what we do today is so different from what was happening um, back then. Um, for example, you walked in and said, we're going to have communion. Now, I... Some of you are saying, I wish we did it the old, like we did in the old days before COVID. <laughs> because we had the silver trays and we had the individual cups. Many of you grew up that way. Um, and we take the bread. Some of us have been in churches where we go up in the front and, and uh, the pastor uh, would dip, dip the bread and put it in your mouth. You, you've done things like that. And so... Part of me says, you know, this is getting kind of reducing it down, but we're, we're doing this because, because of COVID to, and, and so forth. Now, 
this is what we're going to do. Everyone is going to get the same thing, okay? You, you, it was not a smorgasbord, okay? Now, um, you know, we're not different flavors. <laughs> we're so used to that, aren't we? But here's what's interesting, that the Lord's Supper typically happened every Sunday. Um, you know, and I, I have a hard time making the case that we shouldn't do it every Sunday, uh, my, my thought is I don't like it to become so rote that we just go through it without, you know, thinking through it and taking sufficient time to be able to, to focus on this. But typically when the church would gather, they would gather every what day of the week. Sunday. Why? Resurrection. Ever since the, the Christ, the church would gather on the day of the resurrection. Most of us think it was probably 1030 or 11. <laughs> Uh, but, but most likely it was after work because back then weekends weren't off. Uh, Jews would often take the Sabbath off, but in the Greek world, people just worked. So probably it was Sunday evening after work. But they would gather together. And typically when the church gathered, there'd be a number of things happening as they met. And one of the big things was food. They, they would have People bring food. It's like you've been to the old church potlucks. can be a dangerous thing. I used to say, I like to get there. It's the only time I want to be first in line and know what I'm getting. Um, <laughs> but uh, the old church potlucks, everybody brings some food. And this is kind of the, they'd fellowship, they'd spend time, they'd be eating, and then they would have worship and singing. They would have preaching of the word. And, uh, and then they would, they would take the food that they had on their tables and, and just drink that wine and eat that bread that was already on the table. It wasn't a special passing around, typically. So that's a whole different type of event. So you can probably imagine if we would have planned this morning to have a great big potluck and everybody bring your, and, and here's what it becomes. It becomes, I'm going to bring my favorite dish. And so it almost becomes like a contest. You've watched, have you watched this before too? I mean, it's like, I'm, and, and we've had to say to people, don't, it, the more extravagant you, extravagant you get in what you bring, then the other person's going to be more extravagant. And then it just, now for us guys, it's great because it's just a lot of great food. But uh, honestly, it can get to be a competition and a comparison. And, and, and so when you take all of those things, uh, and uh, there, there is in the Greek culture what they used to call social stratification. Strat you know, stratification is, is layers in the social structure. So you've got really rich people and you've got really poor people. Typically, you know, like in our church, it's, it's, it's more of the same kinds of people. But there, there was a big, big contrast. And so what was happening, people would be bringing in their, all their food, they're unloading and all this food, and some people are coming, they don't have anything. And you're kind of talking about your food. Oh, let me try, try this pie or try this, or we've got this, you know, lamb. And, uh, and then the people of wealth begin congregating with the people with wealth, and those that are poor are left standing there. And, and he goes on to say that some of you have started eating before Everybody gets there. Now, we all know what that's like at home. We haven't prayed yet. <laughs> we got, or we got to wait. Have you started eating yet? But this is what was happening. People were just completely oblivious to those in need. 
They're not waiting for others, and they're not sharing with others. It wasn't, it wasn't like we're looking for the, the least privileged person in our church to make sure they've got plenty of food first. And so it caused attention, and food became a status, and it was who you were sitting with. And here's what, and another thing happened. They were overindulging food. Um, we've all been there probably uh, certain times of the year, <laughs> and uh, they were overindulging in food, which is not good. I mean, we're, we're not here to, about the food. And they were also overindulging in drink. So typically, um, the, the wine they drank was alcoholic, I mean, and it was all the way up until Welsh's grape juice in the Prohibition period. So I don't know if you knew that, but wine in the Bible and strong drink and beer has been used for offerings to God. God commends it. Jesus made it. Jesus drank it. And I can find nothing where it's wrong. Now, we are cautioned, and it is a sin to be drunk. That's very clear in Scripture. Um, so they had wine, and then people were getting drunk. They're getting drunk. I mean, this is, they're, they're eating too much, they're getting drunk, and they're divided, divided over this. And so that's what was happening. Now, it, it's very hard for that to happen in a little cup of Welsh's grape juice <laughs> with, with the um, piece of bread at the very top of it. So we're not really battling it in that way but as I said last week we battle it in other ways so we, we go to the principle of this there's a principle in this where it's hard to, to say it's exactly the same today uh, because we don't we're not functioning that way but we do tend to allow the two roots of this problem pride and selfishness to get at us and why do churches get divided why are they going at each other today? Why are we having picking sides over politics or COVID or, or vaccine? Why is that? And I think at the root of it, it's pride and a selfishness. And so they, they will come in, in so many different forms. Now, one of the a couple words I want to just share with you is they, they have moved from a Christocentric, in other words, a Christ-centered worship to an anthropocentric worship, which is anthropos is man. So we, we and, I, and I share that because I think it's important. I, th I think you see this today. When we, we're no longer Christ-centered in our worship and we become man-centered, we're in trouble. And I think we do that in our music, in our preaching, in our Lord's Supper, in our children's activities. When this happens in your life, when it happens in your home, when it happens in the church, we are in trouble. And so this is exactly what has happened here is their, their whole point of communion is to, to remember Christ and what he's done. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he offers to us the gift of eternal life. We celebrate that until he comes. And this helps us be reminded. It helps us be reminded. But when we're indulging in our appetites, in our pleasures, and it's all about my food, your food, this food, um, 
it's all about, and, and we do that at Christmas and Easter too, don't we? It, it's Now all of us would say, I know, I know, I know, I know. Christmas is about the birth of Christ. But don't you think in, in some ways it gets lost for a lot of Christians? Same with, with Easter. In other words, it, it's like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But we've lost the centrality of Christ in Christmas and of the resurrection at Easter. I'm not saying it's bad to enjoy it. We, we enjoy these times as a family, and I hope you enjoy those with the, with the meals, and I'm not against having a tree or presents. However, when, when Christ becomes the afterthought, it, it's something that comes in later, then I think we're, we're missing that Christ-centeredness. And, and the, this ordinance of the church of having um, the Lord's table the communion is to, to just get us refocused on Christ, which to me is a great need in our, our day. <clears throat> so how does pride and selfishness manifest itself for us? In, in two ways I see. One, self-indulgence. That means I'm going to eat all I can, drink all I can. I'm going to, all this about, I, I indulge myself, self-centeredness. And also, self-righteousness. Look at him indulge himself. <laughs> it's really easy to get to either. And, and both are wrong. Both are motivated by pride. If I'm saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not like those heathen over there. Look at that guy. He's, he's eating too much. Or he's not sharing. Or that person's drunk. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm so thankful that I'm not like that. <laughs> Now, you may not actually pray that way, but you start to think that way, how good you're doing in comparison to other people. So, to me, that is also very divisive in a church, self-indulgence, self-righteousness. And same result, conflict, division, factions, heaping condemnation among themselves. We're going to see later on in this passage, when we keep on sinning, it brings about actually physical sickness and even death. And a disgrace to the community at large. So it wasn't just that they're just imploding internally. They have lost a credible witness to their community when that takes place. Um, so first point, what was instituted to bring us together in Christ-centeredness is being used to divide us. And um, it's not good. So that, that he confronts a problem. So he quickly moves. And I, I'm, I'm so thankful for this. He doesn't just pound it, pound it in over and over and over again. He said, okay, let's move from, I've addressed the problem. Now let's go back to the, the foundation of why we meet. Why do we meet together? And uh, this is what we'll call instruction. Going back to the scriptures and instructions of our Lord. Of course, we did not have at this time the New Testament. You know, we are so blessed to have this. We are so blessed. And most of you have it on your iPhone, I know. I still like this, even though it's, I, don't, I don't carry it around with me everywhere. Um, we are so blessed to have all these letters. And that day, they had the Old Testament, and they had, the, they had some of these letters, but they didn't have the, the resources that we have. 
you know, we, and we can have commentaries and, and all these other things that are helpful, but Paul, Paul was transferring what Christ taught him and the other apostles to this church. This is why we worship and how we worship. And, and folks, I, I think that in a, a self-styled world today, we just got to really go back to, okay, what was God's intent? Um, I know our culture is different. You know, we're driving cars and we have computers and all that. And uh, we have these cups. But there are certain principles that I think that were established early on by Christ. And we see repeated in the book of Acts that he wants us to practice as a community. He wants us to do. Now, I'm not going to have time to spend a lot of time on this, but but I'd like to go through what I feel, what, just reading through the scripture, what I feel is indispensable for a healthy church. Um, now, other people have written on this. And I'm not borrowing any of that. I'm just kind of going through myself, reading in Acts, reading what Jesus said, reading what's, you know, we've talked about precept, command, principle, and, and practice, what we see evidenced in the church. And so let me just run through these quickly because I think we have to, ask ourselves at Valley Community, do I respond to this in faithfulness? Do we, do we uh, represent the intent or have we drifted into this type of church where we're having some big party and people are drunk and overeating and not sharing their food and, and, and we're dividing? So th this is just good to go through this. So Marks of a, or distinctives of a healthy church. Number one, it, it gathers together regularly. First 300 years, you didn't have church buildings, but they gathered together. Now, they would do it almost every day of the week, but in particular, they would gather on Sunday. As I said, most likely Sunday evening after, after work. They assembled together. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, it, it says, Do not neglect the meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How many of you think the day of the Lord's drawing near? <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> it's kind of exciting, but as, as the day of the Lord is drawing near and we're facing more pressures, we need to encourage each other. And so he says, I want you to gather together. So how often? They did it every week, at least every week. They did it on Sunday. They were faithful. They were regular. It was a priority. Now, we've got to be real careful here because I think that you, you can really slip into legalism. And, uh, you know, we had, remember those Sunday school pens of the old days? Some of you remember this where you got a bar for every year of attendance. It's not a matter of you checking the box or the famous thing about you, you show up after missing a few weeks and someone says, oh, uh, we missed you. And it was kind of like, where have you been? <laughs> you need to get right with God. <laughs> and um, so, you know, like I, I said, you can, you can slip from self-indulgence to self-righteousness real quick if you're not careful. So, so hear me out. I believe it should be the habit of your life and your family to meet here with God's people. You say, well, not Valley, but, but you meet with God's people every Sunday. Now, 
I know we have vacations, we do other things, we, but, but here's what happens is, is, is pretty soon, and, I, and I've watched this, is, is we drift away from consistency. And I've watched that happen. You know, we need this. We need you here. Now, I, I, I put a caveat here for those of you at home, for those of you still watching out for COVID, this is different times right now, but I would say this, that the regular practice, the regular habit is we're there. You need it. We need it. We all need it. And he commands it for our good. Okay, that's first. It gathers regularly. Secondly, it preaches the word. It preaches the word. Now, um, I don't put this up here as a prop. I... I I put this up here because the only thing you can trust is this book. It has weight. It has power. And here is what, here is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. In other words, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When it's popular, when it's not popular. When it's a hard passage, when it's an easy passage. And he says you, you correct, you rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. So what's the difference between teaching and preaching? Good preaching will always have teaching in it. But teaching isn't necessarily preaching. Preaching is calling people to decision. Preaching is confronting sin. Preaching is exhorting people into obedience. It is a central piece of of the church and I believe in this day and time we're seeing that slowly slip away it is essential so gathering regularly preaching the word uh, third worship in song in spirit and truth I think we can tell a lot about a church by how they sing you know this this is common You'd find in the early church, they gathered together, there was always preaching of the word, and they were always singing. They were writing hymns, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, melody in their hearts. All through the psalms you see this. All through the church, they're singing. You see it when they're in jail. They're singing. There's something about scripture-based songs that, that get into your whole being. And whether you've got a good voice or not, <laughs> um, being able to get your energy and praise and thanksgiving, uh, praising God with truth, spirit and truth, is, is necessary. And not just that we have, and our music team is very good, but not just that we have a really professional music team, but that they lead us in collective worship. We all sing. That's what Paul and I have talked about. We want to hear everybody sing.
Well, maybe not everybody, but <laughs> I love it. I love it when I hear a sing and we worship together. Not just that I hear someone up there on the stage doing that. This, this is important because we collectively worship and praise him and thank him and it takes those truths and, and runs them through us. It washes over us and we take them home during the week when we're singing. It gives attention to reading scripture. That's number four, the reading of scripture. Paul says this to Timothy, give attention to this, reading the scripture. It's not like any other book to prayer. I've seen lists that people have given of what, what, what shows a healthy church and prayer is not even in there. I think, <laughs> well, you know what? If there's one thing we need, this church needs, is prayer. And we pray. We learn to pray. And there's so much to pray about. You start thinking through your, your family and your friends and the needs in this world. We have a lot to pray about. And, and, and as I've said many times, there is nothing you do in the course of your day that carries more weight, more strength, more power than calling on God. About anything. Your job, your work, your kids, your future, every single thing. Prayer is central. When Jesus was cleansing the temple, remember a very similar thing. He's cleansing the temple. And, and, he, and he's, he, they've commercialized it. They've commercialized it. Do you think that's happening today? The commercialization of the church? And he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. It's not entertainment. It gives financially. One thing you notice that they would, they would bring their now, we do it electronically, so I say cultures change things. Most people give to Valley electronically, and uh, we've, people have given well through this past year. But it's, 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 it's not just that you write out 10% and give a tithe. I mean, they were doing that. I mean, the, the churches all through the years practice just regular, consistent giving. But they'd also give spontaneously when they'd see a need. Someone's poor, someone's sick, someone needs food, someone needs to... It, it, it's a mindset of generosity. The church was giving. And, and what's interesting is that almost every giving campaign I've heard <laughs> over the last 40 years has been about something that's going to crumble someday. That's why I got pretty excited when we, we... Our first big giving campaign was about two weeks of giving money for Cherith, our global partner in Zambia. And... Uh, we gave over $15,000. And it was so much fun because it wasn't for a building. Even though, you know, we'd all like to, would it be nice to have our own building? I mean, we could use it all week. But it, these, these churches, you know, 300 years, they didn't have buildings. So, yeah, I'd love to have one. And uh, I'd love, actually, I'd love for someone to give us one. And then all of our offerings go to things that matter more eternally. <laughs> but uh, don't quit praying for a building. But, but they, they, the generosity, it, it's a giving church, not just in the plate. It's, a, it's giving in its mentality. Number seven, it enjoys fellowship. I mean, we like hanging out. I mean, most, most Sundays, we've got to get people moving out of here. Last week was a little bit of a little bit hurried, but uh, people hang around hour, hour and a half after church on Sunday. 
This is good. They come early. It's good. We talk. We fellowship. We share things. Um, we spend time. And, and I think good fellowship is not always just patting people on the back and encouraging them. It's also recognizing problems and saying, well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> um, I, was, I was saying to one of my friends the other day, I said, you know, you're such a great friend. I said, you're always unafraid. You're always giving me encouragement, and you're never afraid to give me a kick in the seat of the pants. <laughs> That's a good friend. Because sometimes we need it. It enjoys fellowship. It, it evangelizes. And it's not just, okay, we're going out door to door, and we're going we're gonna to knock on doors and... See people get saved. No, it's just the fact you, you, you're not afraid to share your story. You, you, you're sharing your story with your family, your friends, people. I think that's what we're equipped to do. We're seeing people, and we have this last year, we've seen a number of people come to faith in Christ. I mean, it hasn't been thousands, hasn't been hundreds, but we've seen quite a few come to faith in Christ this year. And uh, sometimes I think, wow, we've had so many people moving away. We get new people coming in, people moving away. It's not about numbers. It's about people. We're not building an organization. We're building people. And it's kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Big picture. Okay? So i got to tell myself that because I, I can kind of think, man, we're kind of down in attendance today. But it'll be up in attendance and I'm going to be excited about it. it it's, it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. You invest, as I was even sharing with someone this morning, invest one life at a time. You make the difference in one life, you made a difference. And that's what we keep doing. So we evangelize, we multiply disciples. I tell, here's how, here's how you make a disciple. You follow Jesus and help someone else do the same. It's like, I'm going to follow Jesus, come along with me. That's all. That's it. And no matter where you are in your journey, um, you may be a brand new Christian. You can make disciples. You invite someone to come along, come along with you. And then finally, number 10, that a healthy, vibrant church, the members are marked by spiritual fruit. In other words, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, it, it is the character of the people that will reflect others. So let's move on to the final examination. So in light of all this, um, Paul calls to examination. And he says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, like they were doing, will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and this way let him eat the bread and drink from the cup, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep means they've died. So sin does have consequences. It may not immediate to our health and well-being. This is what he's making reference to. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, and so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, <laughs> so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters, whatever I come. So three, three levels of examination he talks about. First, examine your own life. 
That's where you got to start. You know, he says, if I would judge myself, I'm not going to be judged by other people. Self-judgment, uh, self-critique is the important thing. And I think, you know, God says his word is like a mirror. It's a, it's a mirror. And so if I want to see how I'm doing, <laughs> I look in the mirror. Um, and he'll show me what needs to be changed. Now, the, the, the mirror of the world is like the one at the carnival. You know, the, the one that goes like this and it kind of distorts. The, the world will be like, like the, uh, what do they call that? The hall of, hall of mirrors or whatever they call that. Everything is distorted. So if you're looking at popular culture or the world or anything else but the word of God, your view of yourself is going to be distorted. Facebook, I, everything, everything will distort what is really going on. So self-examination. Secondly, others. Um, oh, this is fun. <laughs> I get to judge you. Um, so I judge myself. I need to judge you. So when I look at your life, what do I see? Well, I see some needs. I see some needs. Do you know why God gives you discernment in other people's lives? Not to, not to critique them, but to help them. Simple as that. So if I discern some failings and I'm judging you, I'm not going to come and tell you about it in criticism. I'm going to say, how can, how can I intercede in a healthy, positive way? That's the second way we exa examine ourselves, examine one another. And then let's examine our church. How are we doing? How do we represent Christ? So as I look at this and, and bring it into 2021, and, uh, and I'll try to get through this quickly. I know I'm kind of running a little longer on this. I kind of tell I might, but um, what have I have observed over the last 40 years of ministry of, of the healthiness of the church? Because I think, you know, from the very first Sunday I started pastoring until today, there, there's trends I've observed just to be aware of. Uh, and I would say this, first of all, well, pre-COVID, okay, pre-COVID, a growing spirit of convenience and consumerism among Christians. The difference is there was one church in Corinth. we got churches everywhere around here. So if you don't like one, you go to another. And uh, people are just, they're, they're consumers. There's a, there's a steady decline in churches, attendance, numbers of confessing Christians, there is a decline in seminary students, pastors, missionaries, etc. Churches are closing all across the country. There are less, less preaching of the word and more pep talks. Less worship, more entertainment. People attend, but they're not engaged. And you know, I think that the truth is, you can go online, I know this may shock you, but you can go online and find better preaching than you're going to hear, hear here on Sunday morning. Um, you can find better music, more professional maybe. You can find books, you can find, I mean, so everything as far as content is out there, and this is, this is what's happened to the church, is we've gone all about content. You know, I'm going to listen to this guy preach. I'm going to listen to this, my favorite worship team band. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my kids over here. And what lacks is community, community. 
And this is what the church is. It is community. It is relationships. And so it makes us incredibly vulnerable. Today, over 60% of evangelical Christians, and I would say those that believe they're born again, say they're born again, 60% of evangelical Christians ages 18 to 35 believe there may be other ways to get to heaven other than Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? 60, it's above 60%. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of people who say, I am a born-again Christian, I've trusted Christ as my personal Savior, I'm on my way to heaven, 60% of those 18 to 35 say there are probably other ways you can get to heaven. Now, the alarming thing is the Bible teaches just on almost every page that that is not true. So there, there is a, a loss of theology, a loss of doctrine, a, lo- a loss of preaching, and a culture of convenience. So what have I noticed since COVID? Um, they say that 25 in, in the West, I'd say Cali- you know, from California, Colorado, all across the West, 25 to 40% of people are back to church. Um, and, and, and honestly, people shouldn't be coming back if they're not ready. So I'm not, I'm not saying, but, but I don't know that it's going it's to, it will ever get back to where we were. I don't think we will, because I think we've, we've become accustomed to online church, which is great. I love it. If you can't be here and now, um, we, we've put, because we can watch it on Monday or Tuesday or whenever we want, we'll just kind of go about, and churches, be, gathering together has become less and less of a priority. I mean, we'll still come if it works out. We got, but, but it's, it's, it's probably way down there on the list of priorities. So, and I think the only way to get back is not by browbeating people into, with guilt. I think it's compelling them with the love of Christ and a commitment to the to Christ. Um, I think more and more I see, and I'm challenged by what this will do long term. The result of it, I think we're paying a heavy price with our kids because they're growing up watching this. I think we pay a price in our own lives because we 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 need relationships that are life giving, life building. And we fail as a body to keep moving forward with reaching this world for Christ. So what's the answer? Well, you know what, folks? (laughs) We can't control the world, but we can control what we do. We can control what we do as a church. And here's what I plead with you is these final words in verse 26 of chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this is what we'll do as we conclude our service today. We proclaim the Lord. And it talks about his death, but also his coming. So he's a resurrected king. This cup, he says, represents my body, which was broken, given for you, my blood, which was shed for you to wash away your sins. So This is a reminder for us on these things that 
that we come here and God is pleased. Don't you kind of get to that end with, with all that Paul has said in the last part of chapter 11 here, is what, what, what are we aiming for here when we worship? That God is pleased. That God is pleased. And that's what we desire. And when, when God is pleased, it's going to put every one of us in the right place before him. So this is what Jesus did. They would do this regularly. They would do it after a meal. Um, this isn't an exact replication, but I hope you get the point. Um, just a practical note, if you haven't done this before, there's a little cellophane top here with the, uh, a wafer in there. This represents his body that was hung on a tree and given for us. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. His blood was the final atonement. How many bulls and goats were slaughtered in the Old Testament? Do you ever kind of read through that and think, man, there's just a lot of dead animals. <laughs> kind of covering for sin, covering for sin. But when Jesus shed his blood, it was once for all. Once for all time, once for all people, once for all sin. Isn't that amazing? He said, it's finished. And they said, this cup represents a blood that washes away all your sin for all time, for all people. Remember that. Drink all of it.